Hello, friends. Today's guest on the podcast is Jonathan Segrist. Jonathan is a professional rock climber and one of the most prolific sport climbers on the planet. He might be the top American sport climber right now. He is certainly one of the best. At the time of this recording, Jonathan has climbed more than 350 routes, 514 or harder, including 10 15As and two 515Bs, and he's still getting after it, training his ass off and trying super hard routes. We talked about the evolution of his training and why he decided to shift his focus even further towards strength and power in his most recent training cycle. We talked about his current hangboard routine and three of his favorite strength exercises, as well as why he thinks including outdoor climbing into his training phase might be the secret sauce and how he integrates that and why he decided to add more rest to his workouts and between training days this year. We talked about tactics for second go red pointing and tricks for remembering beta. We talked about climbing with Adam Andra and how that inspired Jonathan to try more on-siding in the future. We talked about where Jonathan ultimately hopes to take his climbing and the project he's been trying at the Finns, Idaho, for the last several years, why the line is so significant for him, and why he feels so committed to getting that one done. Jonathan is someone that I have looked up to as long as I've been a climber. I've been following him forever, and it was so much fun to sit down and chat. We geeked out pretty hard on this one. We covered a lot of the nuts and bolts of his training and his climbing, and Jonathan had a lot of great insights across the board. He doesn't actually train as much as I had thought. I was a bit surprised. Another reminder that getting outside and trying hard might be the single best thing we can do to get better at rock climbing. Who would have thought? probably every strong climber from the 90s. I link to all the articles, blog posts, videos, photos, routes, books, products, and interviews we mentioned in the show notes. You can find all that over at thenuggetclimbing.com. I also chronicled the many podcast interviews Jonathan has done about his training over the years. So if you want to travel back in time and listen to baby Jonathan, you can do that and find those in the show notes as well. This episode was one of the last ones recorded pre-coronavirus. As you'll hear toward the end of the interview, the coronavirus was just starting to be talked about in the news. Jonathan and Shana did end up going to Italy, but they had to cut their trip short and return home pretty quickly after they'd arrived. They are back home now in Vegas. They're both healthy and doing a little extra indoor training this season, going with the flow and making the best of things, as we all are. Fingers crossed that Jonathan gets a chance to make it up to the Finns this spring. It's about a month away, so we'll see. Okay, enough blabbing. This was such a fun interview, and if you're half the geek I am, I'm sure you'll love it. Please enjoy this wide-ranging and very in-depth conversation with Jonathan Segrist. I can move it like forward or is that good where it is there? Let me just turn you up a little bit. What did you have for breakfast this morning? Uh, I had 
eggs with cheese and uh like a three-day-old biscuit <laughs> and like half of my leftover tie from two nights ago okay yeah <laughs> i just i just listened to something i think it was uh i can't remember maybe it was on power company i just listened to a bunch of them to make sure i wasn't gonna like cover too much of the same shit over and over oh nice but That's um smart. you were talking about how you did you tend to do a pretty big breakfast yeah and then not eat that much during the climb totally day. is that yeah. still the case yeah it's definitely still the case got you yeah how does that change on a training day do you eat more during the day on a training day or on a red pointing day or how do you um, think about that? No, I think it's all roughly the same. I tend to like to do activity, be it climbing or training or whatever. For me, the best hours of the day tend to be like between noon and six or something like that, you know? Okay. And so it works well for me to have kind of a later big breakfast and then like a few food things to supplement the day. Mm-hmm. And then normally on like a training day, I'll have like a protein smoothie at the end of my training. Okay. And then that evening, you know, so like a lot of times I'll have a big protein smoothie thing after all the training is done. And then like 30 minutes later, I'll eat dinner. Okay. And I end up feeling like kind of like I'm going to explode from <laughs> having like a liter of protein plus like a whole dinner in my belly. But yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just feel like that tends to feel the best. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If you're out like a red pointing day and you're trying something three burns, are you eating between goes? Yeah, I just kind of eat generally as I feel hungry throughout the day. But like, okay, so here's a perfect example. So yesterday I went up to Mount Potosi mm-hmm. and uh, we've been leaving around like 9.45 in the morning, like 9.30, 9.45. So before that, I think I had like two pieces of toast with vegan butter and then eggs and cheese and... I probably had like a couple spoonfuls of peanut butter. That's probably it. Like maybe some tea with, sometimes I have milk and stuff like that in my okay. tea. So that was, that was that. And then normally this doesn't need to be too shameful of a plug for Fizz Advantage, but I just started with Fizz Advantage, which is a air course company. Oh, right on. Yeah. Cool. And I actually really have liked the Endurex, which is like his beat slash like kind of general endurance drink. Okay. And I've been having that, like, almost a full one of those on the drive and on the hike mm. up to Potosi because it's, like, 45-minute hike, 40-minute hike. Got it. And then when I get to the cliff, I immediately eat because I'm normally hungry by then. Uh-huh. So then I'll have, like, maybe a bar and, like, an apple or something or just a bar, depending on how hungry I am. And then normally I feel pretty good and I only need like a little bit of snacks like in between my burns or something. Like I might have another bar like kind of spread out over the course of the rest of the climbing day. And then, okay. and then that'll take me home. And then when I get home, I'll have like a big dinner. Gotcha. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just never, I've tried it in the past bringing like a whole meal to the crag. Yeah. Like I even have friends that'll bring a Tupperware with like leftover like noodles or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't like, I just... Something like if I eat too much, I feel sleepy. Hmm. So I just kind of like keep it light and then go a little bigger on like breakfast and dinner. Gotcha. Yeah. Do you have a go-to bar? Yeah. I mean, I, I really like um, Pro Bar makes a protein bar. Mm-hmm. They just redid the chemistry of it. So it's has quite a bit less sugar now, which I really like. Nice. And it's like 20 grams of protein and it's all plant-based. And like, that's like my go-to. Sometimes I have Pro Bar, the meal bar, because it's just... That's nice because you can bring like one of those and maybe something supplemental and an apple and that's mm-hmm. like plenty for the whole day because those meal bars are like 400 calories or something gotcha. so they're like proper. Yeah. The funny thing is like I went to China last year for a month and we're just packing up to go to Italy now and whenever I'm packing up for the trip, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to need like three boxes of bars and like, uh-huh. oh my God, what am I going to eat, you know? But then whenever I get to said place, 
I always just go with just random bizarre local cuisine for really? like lunch. Yeah, uh-huh. I don't totally know why. I think I just get more psyched on it. Uh-huh. Like in China, I would eat like these weird like treat things that they would have at the store and, and then I'd have like a grip of fruit or something like that. And occasionally I'd bring up like a mini Tupperware with some noodles. But then, yeah, we're going to Italy or like whenever I'm in Spain, I normally go like a handful of walnuts and like a baguette and just like the full Euro program. And <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't really know why, like... It just feels boring somehow to eat in a bar that you imported from the U.S. Yeah, where you sure. could just have like, you know, just try out something weird for a little while. Yeah. Like that. Has that ever backfired? Uh, it's backfired in China for sure okay. on numerous <laughs> occasions. Yeah. Just like having like oily noodles or, or uh, rice, whatever, for breakfast or lunch. Yeah, You're yeah. Like maybe not a great idea, but yeah. as far as in Europe, no, it's always like worked out really well for me. So cool. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Well, we just rolled right into it. Hey, Jonathan. Yeah. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, man. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Uh, I was just uh, hanging out with Bill Ramsey yesterday. We just did his interview and Bill thinks that the tread wall is like one of, I think it's his favorite tool for fruit sure, climbers for yeah. training. And he reminded me of this. I'd completely forgotten, but I followed your story and your training for a long time in your blog. And uh, he was talking about how he he thought he remembered. I want you to fact check this. Yeah. He thought he remembered you training on the treadmill for your trip to the red like 10 years ago, like almost exclusively climbing laps on campus rungs. Yeah. And it sparked this memory. And I was like, wait, I think I remember reading like 10 or 12 years ago on your blog that you would do that, but that you would also, once it got too easy, you would do that with socks. That's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah. That's absolutely true. That's an awesome little tidbit. That's, but am- that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So it was um, DDA Rabuto who had the idea to put the campus rungs on the treadwall. Okay. And he was doing it for like the ABC kids with Robin Eversfeld like back in the day. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, this was literally 11 years ago. But I would like do my normal training session in the gym and then I would go up to the treadwall. I like make it as... We had one that wouldn't go super steep at that time. It was like 20 degrees or something. And I'd make it on that. And then, yeah, I would basically just like do the campus rungs with socks on my feet until I just felt like I was going to vomit, you know? Because <laughs> <laughs> I was really, uh, I hadn't traveled very much for climbing at that point at yeah. all. And I just really wanted to do well in the red. And everybody, I remember Emily Harrington telling me, it's just like a never-ending campus run, campus board huh. that you can use your feet on. Uh-huh. And I was kind of like, oh. And, and like in retrospect, I'm like, you know, not the entire red, but certainly like the Madness Cave. That's exactly what it's basically. That's exactly what it is. You yeah, know? yeah. So I, I don't know if that was the special sauce or if it was just <laughs> a part of the puzzle or whatever. Well, but. it seemed to work. I mean, that was kind of a breakout trip for you, I think. I mean, you had multiple 14A flashes, multiple 514Bs. I think you sent Lucifer. Yeah. So yeah, oh, for, it seemed to work. Without a doubt, that was um, unquestionably, that was like the most attention that I ever got up until then, for mm. sure. Yeah. And that was a definitely a huge change in my climbing life as far as like well partly because i graduated from college in 2009 Mm -hmm. and at that time like i wasn't making a cent from climbing or anything like that i was just getting some free stuff and and trying to travel as much as i can i was still setting roots at the boulder rock club like probably six months of the year or so like on and off Uh and at that time it was like like i actually remember at the time i was dating Paige clausen and i remember calling her and like telling her 
I can't remember the exact order, but I think I did lose fur like on the second day or the first day or something. And then like the next day I called and I was like, I did Southern Smoke. And she was kind of like, what you're doing is crazy. <laughs> and and I was like, is it? And I was like, huh, I guess it's, I guess this is like awesome. Like I'm really excited, you know, but she kind of, her attitude was kind of like, and at the time it was different. Now, like a zillion people have had that same trip to the red, but yeah. definitely at the time it was like, whoa. And then it was kind of a big deal. It felt like, I was like, whoa, me? Like, really? This is cool, you know? So I, I was f- <laughs> fired up. Uh-huh. And uh, and then I got the, one of my original claims to fame is I got the Climbing Magazine Golden Piton for Breakaway Success, which I never received the physical Golden Piton, <laughs> and I'm still butthurt about that. And if by any chance Matt Samet is listening, I still want it, dude. Because it's the only award I've ever won in my life, and it's like... I just really want it like sitting on my mantle, especially now that I have an actual house. <laughs> but no, that trip was huge for me. It, it, it opened up doors and I think people started to watch what I was doing and you know, it would still be many years until I would consider myself a pro, mm-hmm. but it was still like, it was like, whoa, cause I kind of took a risk leaving college. Like I'm going to try this climbing thing. And then, and then that felt like, okay, maybe like, maybe I'm doing the right thing. Like I should keep trying and keep like busting my ass and like maybe something cool will happen. And, and yeah. It's cool to have followed your progression and to see kind of how geeked out you are on climbing and training now. Mm. And then to think back to just how intuitive and like playful and just, you know, like, oh, it's like a campus rung that lasts forever. So I'm just going to do that with socks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And just keep it simple. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, I'd love to talk about the evolution of your training. And you've done a lot of other interviews, so I'll link to those in the show notes and kind of break them down a little bit for people in the intro so that, because you've covered some of the nuts and bolts of it before, so we don't necessarily need to go into all this stuff, but it seems like more or less very short version is you really focused on volume and like the Sufferfest sort of training. Definitely. And then you started working with the Anderson brothers maybe five, six years ago or something. Yep. Mm -hmm. And that was when you were targeting biography. Exactly. Um, yeah. So a, a small shift away from volume towards more strength focus. And it seems like you've done that again. You started working with Steve Bechtel and, mm-hmm. and have kind of shifted again, even more towards strength and power and, and that sort of totally. stuff. Totally. So yeah. Yeah. Where, wh- how have things changed most recently and where are you at now with your training? You nailed it. First of all, that that's all very accurate. Um, I started by just doing laps in the gym until like I couldn't hold on, you know, forever for like years at a time. That's all I did. Mm -hmm. And then I saw that like working pretty well and that took me to a pretty high level. And then it was the, the winter between 2013 and 2014 when I was like, okay, like I really want to climb 515 next year. And up until that point, I'd always kind of like made up my own way and, mm. and fully like figured it out and just listened and watched and tried to figure it out on my own. And I had work ethic, but I wasn't really that well informed necessarily. And then at that point was when I went to Mike and Mark and was just like, what do I do? Mm. Like, I, I'll do whatever you say. I just want to get better. And then that changed everything because I'd never done any hangboarding or any like systematic training necessarily. I had mm-hmm. just like climbed until I wanted to puke kind of thing. And then that kind of guided my training, like you said, up until um, that more or less guided my training. I mean, and I changed the program to suit myself as I read more and learned more. I kind of tweaked little things. And I really recommend that anyone does that personally if they have the drive and the uh, resources and ability to do that. I think they should. 
But then ultimately, it was kind of the same thing again happened in 2018. I had tried Jumbo Love in 2016 for okay. like three weeks. And it was clear that it was like way above my head at that mm-hmm. time. It wasn't like demoralizing to try, but it was like, this is something else. Like, I think I had climbed three or four something 15 A's at that point, but I was like, this is out of my ability. Yeah. Level, so so. For, real quick for listeners. So Jumbo Love's a 15 B up at Clark Mountain. First done by Chris Sharma, first 15B in America. Um, yeah. When did you end up doing that one? So then I, I didn't try again. I, like, I tried that in the spring of 2016. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't try in 2017. And then in, in 2017, I had like a really successful year for me personally. I climbed 10, 9 A's or harder. And yeah. it was like, and it was really interesting too, because I didn't do any training that whole year. Huh. Basically not a single day. I just was outside every day that I could get outside yeah, and traveled a bunch. And that was a huge turning point for me. And that's when I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to try like the next level, but I still want some coaching. And I, and I, I was so happy with how everything went with Mike and Mark that I was like, you know, I think they understand one realm of training really well. And maybe I can go to Steve or to some, I didn't know who at that point, but I was like, I want to go to somebody who is going to teach me how to be more powerful and be stronger, Mm -hmm. you know, because what I ran into was like, my fingers had gotten a lot stronger. So I was doing a lot of things, but jumbo love isn't an issue of finger strength at all. Like Mm. it's got really big moves. It's steep and very long and it's not defined by bad holds. It's defined by hard moves Mm -hmm. and a lot of them. And so, yeah, I did my research and I basically thought that, uh, Steve and I had known Steve too for years, just climbing around the lander area. I figured that Steve would know better than anyone else. So I went to him. Is Steve Bechtel at Climb Strong? Steve Bechtel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I went to him and I was like, same situation. I was like, I want to climb Jumbo Love. Here's what I can do. Here's what I can't do. Like, tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. You know? And he had me doing new stuff that I'd never done before. Hmm. And again, that, like you mentioned, it changed the focus a little bit more towards strength and power over like strength endurance. Mm. It also had me doing, as you would imagine from Steve, he had me doing more lifting, weights, stuff like that. It was kind of the first time that I like bulked up, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I use air quotes there Uh Um, because I'm still tiny, but you know, I tried. (laughs) Um, And that really, that was huge for my climbing because it was the first time I had ever done anything like that and it worked really well and I ended up succeeding on Jumbo, which was great for me. It was a huge turning, huge turning point. Yeah. And then the way that my training has evolved since then, I've continued to work with Steve. We have a great rapport and he he trusts me that I know the training well enough that I think for him it's relatively easy because he doesn't have to explain much, you mm-hmm. know? He can give me pretty general ideas and then I can run with it. And also I really trust Steve because I think that he is really ambitious about having his whole scene really dialed like mm-hmm. as far i think he stays on top of research and i think he he really knows specifically what he's talking i think he i have the distinct sense that steve wants me to succeed more than i want to succeed myself oh, which i think is a trait of a good really good coach or a good so trainer. Cool. yeah yeah so i've continued to work with steve but i think that what i've done with his help and also on my own over the last two years is i've really tried and this is especially true of this training cycle that I just finished, I really tried to eliminate any tendencies towards strength endurance and just do strength and power, which Mm. is what I'm worst at, which sometimes makes it hard to train because I'm not very good at it. So 
it's harder to feel like cool about yourself when you're like doing all the things that you suck at. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think especially now that I'm getting a tiny bit older, it's so much, it's even more important than I thought it was going to be, you know? Mm. So, and what that is specifically is it's longer rest cycles, meaning that I'm going into each exercise more rested. It's more rest overall between training days as well. Okay. So where before I was doing like strength training day, climbing day, rest day, that Mm -hmm. was like my three day cycle. And I do that for a month straight and I get 10 strength days out of it. That's how I was training like in 2015, 2016. Now I do basically that same amount of volume, but in about six weeks instead of four. Okay. So it's just more rest. And I think that there's two reasons for that. One is because I'm 34, I'm not 27 anymore, so I do feel like I need a little more rest than I did before. And two, I think it's just that I've learned through Steve and through reading and everything that ideally for strength and power, you wanna enter into every session being as fresh as possible. Mm-hmm. Like in order to really give your absolute best effort, you wanna show up to the gym and be like, I feel good. You know, you don't wanna be like, ah, I can probably squeeze out a session. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, I want to show up and be like, I'm ready to go to the death for the next four hours, you know, as opposed to like, it says on the calendar that I have to train today. So even though I feel like a total pile of turds, like I'm going to go anyways. Uh-huh. And so far it's been great. This last two months has been great and really eye opening. And uh, I hope that this kind of ushers in a phase or kind of a discipline of training that I continue for the next couple of years. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. As far as adding more rest in now, is that something that you're kind of taking day by day and just seeing how you feel? Or are you planning that? To what extent are you planning that ahead of time? Um, I'm planning it a little bit, but also I'm really trying to just, just give myself more time overall. Because I think part of the issue that I had several years ago is that I would dedicate a month to my training or mm-hmm. whatever it is. And it'd be bookended with two trips or two somethings. Mm -hmm. So it'd be like, and I'm really like particular. So I'd be like, I plan to have 10 sessions. I'm going to have 10 sessions. Right. And so, especially in the second half of that, I'd be like, oh my God, I have six left. I have to go in, you know, maybe I'm going to do two next to each other or whatever it is, but I have to do it. And I think to some, some degree that attitude's important, but now instead, like I told you kind of before, instead of having like carving out a four week period, I'm going to start carving out a six or seven week period. So I can be like, dude, I really need a second rest day mm-hmm. and just take it and not feel any stress. That's and cool. be like, I'm still going to have the 10 or 12 sessions or whatever it is, but I can just be a little more at ease. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So I know all this is, there's the context of you and all the stuff that you've done for years and years before that. So we'll have to take all this with a grain of salt, but I'm curious, are there any kind of key ingredients that you've done with Steve, certain, certain exercises that you feel have kind of giving you the most bang for your buck if you really had to strip it down to just a few things that have been the most impactful um are, are you yeah. deadlifting like what what kind of stuff are you guys totally doing? yeah um i think throughout it all the one thing that undeniably benefited me was weighted pull-ups hmm. as simple as that is mm-hmm. i hadn't ever done it before even throughout all the finger and hangboard stuff i had done for those years, I had never done weighted pull-ups until two years ago. Huh. And it was like, I saw an instant improvement. Hmm. It was amazing. And now I really value that. And, you know, I make sure that 
that's integrated into like every session as long as I feel up for it or whatever. So that's the one thing I would say that throughout is just constantly shown me improvements in my real, real world climbing. But otherwise, some of the things that I've really, really liked quite a bit, and some of them are maybe not totally popular or that intuitive, but to, or to some climbers rather, but um, I really like pistol squats. Huh. I'm like really into them and adding a little bit of weight with pistol squats. I just find, and I came from a mountain biking background, so my legs are strong, Mm -hmm. but I think it's also something about the coordination and balance of like standing on one foot. Mm -hmm. I've really found, especially like moonboarding. I know it sounds crazy, interesting, but like, yeah, just strengthening the leg in that way. Like there's a lot of times in our climbing where our legs can take some of the burden off our arms like if your leg is strong enough to push your entire body's weight up just one of them then i feel pretty strongly that you know if you're doing dynamic movement and of course you'd want to add some plyometrics to make that fast but i Mm. think to lay the foundation it's a good idea to just do the pistol squats um, Mm. or work up to them just because there's so many times especially in climbing that's not super steep but certainly a little bit in climbing that's steep too where just having the ability to push into a foothold with the entire weight of your body mm-hmm. with one leg, you know, is really beneficial. Yeah. So I've liked that quite a bit. And then I would say the the last thing that I really like is doing these, like a cable pull machine, like you would find in a standard gym. Okay. <clears throat> like having a, a single handed pulling tool mm-hmm. on the cable pull machine <clears throat> and then basically doing like lock off type training where you you start the uh, range of motion like around your shoulder or a little below like around your chest. This is kind of like on a one handed pull down. On yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then you basically just push it down like you would uh, like imagine on a campus board, you know, like something like this. Okay. Um. So what your bottom hand would be doing on a campus board, almost exactly. like a tricep. Exactly. Um, pull down. Yeah. Okay. It's almost like a. It's somehow similar to like a dip, except. You know, the, the way that your your wrist is cocked is separate. And then, yeah, just kind of moving from where your thumb is more or less in line with, like, your pec. Mm-hmm. And then all the way down to, like, your waist. Huh. And I think just especially being a shorter climber, I really like that, getting that range of motion stronger. Because yeah. it does feel like when I need that, you know, we can all, like, reach to the point where our low hand is near our shoulder or our ch- the top of our chest. Yeah. But to give that, even just if it's, sometimes it's, you know, and shorter climbers will totally understand. Sometimes it's that one inch or that extra sure. inch and a half. And I think that that I've seen benefit from that. Okay. Are you doing that exercise heavy or fast or same thing? Are you combining kind of the heavy with some plyometric sort of component of that or? Um, so far I've only done it heavy. Okay, cool. But I would totally experiment Yeah. and see what would help and what would work better. Cool. Yeah. Let's bounce back to the pull-ups. I'm curious about that. So have yeah. you stuck with one grip position? Have you experimented with different grip positions? What about the width? Are you going narrow, wide, neutral? Are you playing with that at all? Yeah, I've played with it a little bit. I mean, I've always stayed in the same grip position, basically thumbs in. and so overhand uh, grip, about neutral width, maybe like shoulder width, a little Yeah, wider. exactly. Okay. Yeah. And then I normally just keep the rep range like under six. Uh-huh. Um, like for this cycle, I've been doing five reps. Yeah, just like five good reps, you know, yeah. ones where I feel like I have an extra one in the tank or so. Mm-hmm. And then normally between three and five of those sets per workout. Okay. And 
Yeah, I mean, just really heavy. I mean, like as, as heavy as I can go and successfully do five. Are you progressing that by adding volume each session and then like eventually adding the weight and dropping back and kind of cycling it like that? Or? Yeah, I've done some of that before. Yeah, yeah, where I'll start with five and then I can do six and then I can do seven and then I go back to five and add like two and a half pounds or mm -hmm. whatever it is. That seems to work better for me when I'm at the cusp of my PR. Mm -hmm. Like, so when I'm about to break new train, that's a really good way to add weight. Okay. Um, but the way I usually format almost all of my training is that I work up to my PR, my previous PR, like I normally take the first 70% of the training cycle just getting back to my previous PR. Mm. And then it's those last, you know, two or three or four sessions where I try and break new ground. Mm. So the majority of my training is still just kind of like, you know, working back to where I was before really comfortably. Mm-hmm. And then trying to add that extra 5% or 10% or whatever, like in the last like week or two. Okay. It. Yeah. And it seems to work well for me, but um, yeah, it's sometimes, sometimes you'll end up kind of feeling a little bit like the first few sessions are for some things are really easy, but um, I just really like it because it, it feels like when I'm ready to break into new ground, I just feel like so ready for mm. it, you know, like mm -hmm. my whole body feels like, like it's like wants me to do that, which is, I think is a good feeling to have as opposed to, again, the same kind of attitude of like, well, I have to go up and I, even though I feel like crap and I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it today, I'm going to try, you know? Yeah. 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 I like feeling it's like on the schedule. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got you. Uh, so you mentioned plyometrics with pistols. Are you doing any of that with the upper body stuff? I mean, I know you've been moonboarding a little bit more. Are you getting enough plyometric stuff from the actual climbing or are you doing any plyometric explosive pull-up work? Yeah, so uh, one really cool thing that uh, Steve introduced me to this year that I've done a little bit of, which I actually saw clear results in both with both my legs and with my arms, but it's basically where you do sessions like I'll do uh, my weighted pull-ups, so like five weighted pull-ups, and then immediately drop the weight and then do five like pull-ups as fast as I can. Huh. <clears throat> yeah each set you'll do that yeah okay and it's really painful like <laughs> it's like it just makes your muscles hurt you know but uh -huh. it, it feels i give myself extra rest between that's another thing too that i think people overlook is like when i'm doing these weighted pull-ups i set a timer when i finish and i wait at least 10 minutes before i do another one wow because again it's about being as fresh as you possibly can for every every set yeah you know so the same when i actually do the mixed the plyometric plus the weight or the strength training, I normally have 15 minutes between. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, right there it can be annoying because if you're doing five reps, it's like, but then you do all the other things in between. So it's That's normally, ask, you only so have five minutes to like sit there on your phone. Or what, are you, what are you mixing in in between? In between, I'll do all my other strength exercises. Oh, okay. Um, which yes, like Steve advocates like kind of bouncing back, having like an A and then a B and then maybe a mobility and then coming back around sort of thing. Totally. That's okay. a great thing yeah absolutely okay and another thing that i know this is like a little techie but i tried this for the first time this year and i really really liked it yeah and that is that uh in the past like let's say that with my hangboarding i was doing let's say just two or three grip positions because normally that's what i do i uh -huh. keep it really simple so maybe i'll do like open three half crimp four and then full crimp four okay uh open three fingers half crimp four fingers close uh, hand four fingers. So if I'm just doing those three grip positions in the past, what I had done 
was I would do like my sets in the same grip position, just one after the other. So let's say I had two or three sets for each grip position. I would do like open three and then rest several minutes, open three again, Got it. rest several minutes. So this year, what I did was I did like open three, rest several minutes, close or half four, rest several minutes, closed four, okay. rest several minutes, back to open three. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you would, you know, if you're going into the weight room, it's not even that revolutionary of an idea because when you go into the weight room and it, like, let's say you're going to do like squats, curls, and then bench press, mm-hmm. you're not going to do bench press, bench press, bench press, yeah. squats, 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 curls, 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 yeah, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so takes too long. Yeah. And it's like, why not give those specific muscle groups extra rest? Mm-hmm. And so that's basically what I did with the hanging. Mm-hmm. And it really felt like in the past when I would tack on, do like the open, open, open or whatever. By the third, I'd be like crushed. Huh. And it was really hard to feel like I was giving a good expression. And now I feel like all three or four or two or however many sets I'm doing for that day, each one I have more or less the same performance. Okay. Which has been awesome. Interesting. Yeah. And what is your protocol these days? Are you still doing repeaters? Um, I am still doing repeaters, but uh, another thing in my hanging that I really love is... I changed from doing 7.3 to doing 7.13. That's really interesting because Steve Bechtel put out this uh, this hangboard PDF. Like, yeah. Yeah, like hang, all these different hangboard protocols. Yeah. And uh, he writes out that protocol. He's like, I helped some pro climber because they were, you know, needed more strength rather than strength endurance. And I was like, yeah. I bet that was Jonathan. That was me, dude. That was totally me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was awesome because I, I felt like I was hitting a wall with my half crimp. Yeah. Which has always been my weakest grip position, like open or closed. I'm much better than I am at half. Yeah. And um, I was totally hitting a wall and Steve two years ago was just like hey you should try adding more rest like do 713 and i was like oh man like at first i was really hesitant because Mm -hmm. i'd had so much luck with 73 and then i went 713 and it was crazy because i went up like the stubborn grip basically i made gains with that Mm -hmm. but then the craziest part is i went back to 73 oh and it was still better like it still yeah. got better you yeah. know what i mean so that was my next question yeah. um cool that was awesome and then i was really hesitant because you know i like i'm not superstitious or anything but like when certain things work it's really hard to break <laughs> away from them you know totally so so for this uh cycle you know i just decided to only do 713 throughout the whole thing mm-hmm. and i really liked it and i think that again it's just further playing into that idea I was telling you before where I'm going to get a lot more benefit out of training with more rest and really trying to give a better expression of strength in my exercises than like strength endurance. Mm -hmm. And even that, I mean, I think, you know, six reps or five or seven reps or whatever of 713 is still pretty strength endurance if you'd ask like an Olympic weightlifter. Yeah, or or compared to like max hangs or something. Exactly. Yeah. But I think it's the most... I think it's the closest thing to me doing something that really works for my specific activity, but also, you know, pulls me towards that like strength mm, side. So there's things. still some specificity there that you're totally for. Okay. Yeah. So a little context for listeners. So seven, three, seven seconds on three seconds rest between reps and reading Steve's hangboard thing. He speaks about how that's roughly a two to one work to rest ratio. And he essentially flipped the ratio. So going from, 7.3 to 7.13, now it's 
a roughly one to two work to rest. Yeah, exactly. So way more strength focused, even though it's a similar protocol. Totally. And, and I mean, the difference for me and for, for anyone listening to that would try it, one of the coolest things about it is that you eliminate that element of stress that's involved with seven, three, mm. where you're kind of oh, like, like frantically trying to get frantic. Some chalk on yeah. Your fingers it's like, there's and... no time to chalk, dude. Yeah, like we've yeah. all tried. Yeah, so... There's just no freaking time. Now, if you, you don't know? have your fan set up right, you're screwed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you kind of feel a little bit like, you know, you're going down the slide as soon as you start the timer. Cause you're like, <laughs> I can't stop until it's over, you know? Uh, yeah. But now with the seven thirteen, I'm like, chalking brushing the hold i'm like changing the song if i want to and then i like go back you know and and it goes by faster than you think but still just that little bit of extra time to really get composed and to feel like okay i can like if something weird is happening and i need to switch something up or whatever you can and not totally set it off is it still a similar fight like battle mode that you're able to get to yeah cool it's it's not quite the same yeah but it, it definitely feels like uh you know, if you stick to the to the timer, like it's still by your fifth, sixth, seventh rep, whatever you choose to do, you're definitely like you feel that it's different than your first. Yeah, I'll say that much. Yeah. Okay. But again, you know, I I, I think it's great to experiment with all kinds of different things. Um, have you played with max hangs at all? That's one thing I never have. Okay. So I've done one arm hangs, which I kind of feel similarly about because. I'm not like a total beast. I can't like do a one arm hang and add 50 pounds or something. Yeah. So for me, one arm hangs feel more or less like a max hang. Mm. Um, but yeah, I haven't messed with them very much, but that's definitely on my radar. something that I want to check out. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So I want to ask a couple more questions about training before we move on. Yeah, let's just, do it. Just keep geeking out. Yeah, I know. It's so fun. you, I think when you were first doing the Anderson brothers and you just spoke to this, you were doing like training day, climbing day, rest day. Yes. I think when you were and correct me if I'm wrong, but when you were prepping for La Planta de Shiva, yeah, that was the second 15B you did a year ago, or early, it was May, I think, 2019. Exactly, yeah, yeah. You were still combining the two, but I think you were focused more on outdoor climbing and then like training after that mm-hmm. on the same day. Yeah. And doing like more of a day on, day off. It sounds like you're still incorporating outdoor climbing. So I, I guess my question is, how much of that is like a, a key ingredient to the whole thing? And how much of it is just like you trying to keep your sanity through a training totally. block, how are you? How, yeah, how do you think about that? Um, I think that's an awesome question. First of all, because I think that sadly, outside climbing, like with all this enthusiasm about training, I think outside climbing and quote unquote practice mm. is totally undervalued now. For me, I think that the secret recipe, if anything, like more so for me than any of the specific exercises or the hanging time or whatever. But for me, the secret recipe that I've found over the last two years is to integrate outside climbing in mm. with my training. And the way I do that is quite like it's uh, best case scenario is basically what happened this session just that just happened in the last two months where I have a month more or less where I do dedicated only indoor training, mm. right? I'm doing some moonboarding. I'm doing these strength days doing a little bit of like bouldering, limit bouldering, stuff like that, screwing around. So that whatever that ends up being, uh, I do that over the course of like four or five weeks-ish. And then sometime towards the end of that, I like to integrate outside climbing. And the hardest part about this is that you want something ideally pretty hard, I think, to make it really like work. So Hmm. 
for me, like the best grade is like a 14D or 15A-ish level where it's not at my absolute limit, but it's hard enough that I really have to try. You mm-hmm. know, it's not something that I'm just going to like just go through the roots quickly. Uh-huh. It's like something where I'm going to really have to try. And then what I like to start to do is uh, over the following several weeks of the training where I was doing maybe three or four training days a week, I would take that down to like two training days a week and two outside days a week. Okay. Something like that. Mm -hmm. That are separate. Okay. Like Mm -hmm. separate from one another. And then I do that for a couple weeks. And at that point also, you might be like, depending on what you're trying to do, you might move away from the strength training and do some more power stuff when you're indoors or, you know, it doesn't, it matters a bit on your goals and what's going on there, but that's a good transitional time. But I just find that generally you regain your rock sense. Uh, You also build up skin, which is so important. Mm. Like I've had it happen to me a number of times where I've been like six weeks only in the gym, like mostly hanging on wood holds. And then you show up in Spain and you're like, your skin is so annihilated for the first two weeks that you can barely, like you need rest days for skin and you like can't like even have good tries on your project or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. So that's part of it. And then another part of it, I think, is just like integrating all that work that you've done and how it feels in your body and how you feel on rock. And and it's also, you know, the training's not done. So if you get the sense like, like, wow, I really nailed it with this thing, but this other thing, like, let's say like my pulling power is amazing. So like no more bent over rows or weighted pull-ups, but my fingers don't feel strong or something, then you can dedicate the remaining energy to fingers or whatever it is. Mm. It's basically just like a check-in, you know? Mm-hmm. And and then furthermore, I also think that like, ideally having a hard send before a big trip, like before trying at your absolute limit, to have something under your belt that's like one or two notches below is incredibly valuable for like your morale and also just for everything to be like, well, the training worked, at least I know this insofar it worked this much. And then now I'm going on the trip and, you know, you, you also have a little bit, maybe less pressure because, you know, sometimes if you take two or three months and you only train and then you show up and you're trying to send, you're like, I haven't done shit for three months. And now <laughs> yeah. if I don't send this thing, I'm going to be like halfway through the year without like even being outside. And yeah. all those things just add to the, to the pressure of it also. Got yeah. you. Yeah. Okay. So you just sent 100 proof. Yeah. Congrats, by the way. Thanks. So first thanks. ascent of a 15A up at Potosi. Yeah, thanks, man. So how were you programming that when you were getting close on that? Were you doing like training day, then trying that? Or were you taking rest days to try to optimize your chances of sending? How, how did you think about that? Yeah, so that changed a little bit. And I've done this in the past too, where if I'm getting close on an outdoor project, I'll just, uh, I'll kind of just put the training totally aside. Okay. Because it ultimately that route was really important to me to do. And I felt really close. Yeah. And I was like, look, if I have to take 10 days or two weeks and do no training days, but I have, you know, seven good effort days of efforts on this route, then it's worth it to me. Okay. And the timing couldn't have been more perfect. Like it doesn't always end up that way. Yeah. But you know, I leave for this trip to Italy next Saturday and I sent uh, last Thursday or Friday or something like that. So I have like a week to just turn my focus indoors a little bit more to tune up some of those things. But then I also like have the momentum and like the energy of doing the route and stuff like that. So it doesn't, I mean, you know, it's one of those things where half the time it, the timing is terrible and you, (laughs) you end up like, I've definitely had it before. Uh, two years ago when I was going to China, I was trying this route, um, this like 
super hard 14D from Francois Legrand up at the hood. Okay. Um, it's called Ghetto Booty. Okay. And yeah. I was trying that route and I was trying to mix in a little bit of training. And it was like, God, it'd be convenient if I sent, like, I've got 10 days before I go to China, you know? And then I would like, wasn't sending. And then it was like, the weather was bad for a few days. And then I still wasn't sending. And it was like, ah, uh, and I ended up pushing my training aside altogether uh. just because I wanted to send so bad. And I ended up doing it like last try the day before I left, you know? <laughs> so it was an incredible feeling of relief, yeah. but I definitely, unfortunately, I sacrificed maybe some of my preparation that I would have had anyway. And, and in the end, it all ended up being fine, but. You know, it doesn't always, like, this time I got really lucky and it just, like, worked out perfectly as far as timing goes. Got you. Yeah. So this whole time we've been talking about your training basically in the off-season and getting ready for a big trip or big objective. I know Steve talks a lot about trying to integrate some supplemental maintenance or something during the, the whole year, you know, always yeah. doing something. How, are you doing any sort of uh, maintenance training or anything when you go on these trips? I'm not. Okay. And... um like the one thing that I will do perhaps on this trip coming up is I'll always bring a portable hangboard with me. Yeah. And if the weather gets crappy or like if my skin's bad and I need need to take three days off or four days off or something, I'll do a couple like short, intense little hangboardy type things just okay. to like kind of shock my fingers and keep them going. But I don't really do much like maintenance throughout the year because ultimately I just want to climb outside yeah. and uh i normally try and have like one you know good two or three month training session each year and then uh for the rest of the year i kind of just like do my thing and climb and travel but you know i, I think i will start trying to do something because okay. i think it would be pretty easy to add in and even if it just means like trying to get a hard moonboard session once or twice a month and then like maybe hard hangboard session once or twice a month or something okay. like that, you know? Cool. Um, cause yeah, Steve is, Steve is good about that. And, uh, and yeah, ultimately I think just for me when I'm on the road or when I'm doing that, I just, I kind of, I'm just like, I just want to be outside. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's really interesting. Cause you know, I, I hear that argument from Steve and I'm like the first one, like I, I, I'm like a sucker for a compelling argument like that. I'm like, Oh, that makes so much sense. Totally. And then I have a, I have the problem where I get way too sucked into that. And so going back to kind of what you were speaking to earlier, where you feel like some of the practice and some of the time spent just rock climbing is getting forgotten and getting lost and maybe underappreciated. Yeah. I'm at the top of the list of people that need to hear that <laughs> Okay, <laughs> and, good. and be reminded okay, of that. Good. So like, That's awesome. okay, Jonathan's training like two months a year and then just going and climbing and trying hard and playing for 10 months. So, yeah. And it's working really well for you. You seem to be progressing year on year. So thanks man. That, yeah. Cool. I, I mean, and, and again, you know, I think it's like, Guys like Chris Sharma or Ethan Pringle kind of like set the standard where, I mean, those dudes never train. Mm -hmm. But what they do do is they freaking try their asses off almost every time they go out. Yeah. And the way I see it ultimately is if it takes you being indoors in a gym to try that hard, you know, then that's what you got to do. But uh. if you can go outside and you can really put 100% effort in, I think you can maintain for a long, a lot longer than people realize, hmm. um, really, truly like going at your limit, you know, mm -hmm. but yeah, I, it's not to say that I, you know, I, best case scenario, you know, if I could be in a situation where I had like month of training or six weeks training, six weeks climbing outside, six weeks training, you know, so on and so on throughout the year, I'm sure that I would feel way stronger overall, but ultimately 
you know, performance is only a piece of the puzzle for me. So mm. it, while it does matter a lot, I do, I do want to have time for just, you know, living in the truck for a month or going to China or whatever it is and not like kind of worrying too much about that other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Got you. So it's, it's interesting, you know, I think we all kind of realize this in hindsight, like the, probably the optimal thing to do is work on a lot of skills and more strength and power stuff when we're younger, maybe focus more on endurance and stuff like that when we're older. Mm -hmm. And just based on kind of your evolution and trajectory, you've kind of done the opposite. You're realizing like, oh, strength and power is really important and I haven't done much of that. Yeah. But I'm curious, I mean, would you go back and change anything? Would you take back some of the, the volume and the the time you spent building this pyramid that you built? Cause it seems like that's still serving you without really having to go back and train it at all. Mm -hmm. So I, I, yeah, I'm curious, how do you think about that? Would you go back and do anything differently? That is a great question. I, I mean, I do think that I've benefited quite a bit from just the trajectory of my training, whether or not it was perfect. Um, there are aspects of my climbing where I really genuinely feel I don't need to like like training for endurance is so low on my list of priorities. It basically isn't on my list. Mm -hmm. I just don't, I don't do it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that I'm really leaning on that decade of like crazy volume that I did forever in that mm -hmm. regard. And I also think that if I have any gifts as an athlete, it's definitely the propensity towards enduring and stamina and stuff like that. Um, and that might just be because I was racing mountain bikes and running a bunch all throughout like the formative, you know, like puberty times when a lot of the like total bone crushers nowadays are like doing one five nine every day. <laughs> I was like, you know, doing these other things and, and maybe that's why, um, maybe that, that has really helped me. I, I I'm sure in part it has, I think the one thing that I would change possibly is I think early in my climbing, like the for, for the first 10 years, I think I would have tried to integrate like a month of bouldering every year. Hmm. The first time I really did a bouldering trip was in 2015. Yeah. And other than that, I mean, I bouldered here and there because like friends were going out or whatever, but I didn't, I didn't really do it that much. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> the way I look at a lot of this training stuff with the strength and power training is like, I think I could get all the same results if I was just going to the death on boulders, but it would take three times as long. Hmm. I kind of look at it that way, whether or not that's accurate, but that's kind of the way I feel where like, you know, I can take these two months and do all this focus training and like nail it, hopefully. Or if I took half a year and I just like camped in Waco, mm. I would probably feel roughly the same hmm. after that. You know, things would change, would differ a little bit. I think my power would be better necessarily than my strength after the bouldering. But what I really am going for is that like raw strength, like fierceness, you know, that you don't really get if you're just kind of like getting pumped all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting thing though. It's kind of a thought experiment I've been playing with a lot lately because, and I remember, I mean, thinking years and years back, I was starting to read a lot of Steve's stuff. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I was kind of following you and I was kind of having this like internal wrestling match. Like, do I, should I just go in the gym six or seven days a week and just like suffer and just do way more <laughs> yeah. of this stuff? Yeah. Or should I like kind of listen more to Steve and think, you know, quality over quantity and really focus on intensity and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. And, um, one thing I remember, I think I was like going deep in your blog years ago. And I think one of your, I think your first V12 was Trice. 
It was, yeah. Is that true? Yeah, okay. that's true. And you did that pretty early on. Like, you, I don't think you'd been climbing that long relative to now. It was like 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I and think it was 2009 or something. You had done... 10, maybe. Mostly volume training at that point. But it's like a three-move V12 on terrible holds. <laughs> so I remember yeah. thinking like, okay, so this guy has insane endurance and like he focuses on that. But he still has V12 crimp strength. <laughs> So I was kind of like, like, wait a minute here. Like, yeah. So what does that, you know, I have like V5 crimp strength. So, <laughs> so what do I, I, I do? Do, that, I, do I focus on the fingerboard or do I, do you think, I guess my question would be, do you think through training volume, you were able to develop your fingers to that level? Or is that something that you kind of always had to some degree that it came easier or I, I don't know. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think, I think to be fair in this specific case of Trice, I basically learned to climb at Flagstaff Mountain. Okay. Um, when I first started climbing, like the spot climbing, it was the first bouldering gym in America that had just opened. And I was going to college at Naropa University in Boulder. And um, I had a little group of friends. And, you know, a lot like a lot of climbers, even though my dad was a climber and I could have borrowed most of the stuff from him if I needed to, like it was so much easier to just have a crash pad and shoes. Mm. And, you know, on Monday nights, the spot was five bucks. So it was like, <laughs> that's what we did. We'd go to the spot and then we'd go up to Flagstaff after class and just climb. Huh. So I actually think that in the case of Trice and like all of my early hard boulder problems were all up at Flagstaff, I think it probably has more to do with just how much practice I had in that area. Mm. I think that um, my fingers and my skin and my footwork and stuff was really attuned to that specific zone yeah and like if you if you were to take me and put me in bishop and have me try the mandala i would have gotten my ass totally kicked okay but it was just that i had been warming up and sessioning cloud shadow you know forever at that point what is cloud shadow that's the specific area where trice got it yeah um, and it's a little boulder that has like, it's basically a wall mm -hmm. that has all these like traverses and circuits and random. Okay. So, so okay. I think, I think that was part of it, but at the same time, you know, even in my root climbing, I was better at little like pimpy, crimpy stuff, you know, mm. I, way more so than like steep, steep climbing. And I think that Trice just like suited me well, because when I first, I remember when I first went into mark and he did like a test on me yeah and mark anderson mark anderson yeah, yeah. And i went to his like training barn in colorado which uh -huh. is so sick <laughs> and he and he did this test on me and i had never done any hangboarding before you know and it, at that time he was like your fingers are strong you know like basically like you're, you're maybe not an outlier in this regard but he's like you're better than what maybe I would have expected, like these kind of things, you know? But then he tested me on like, <laughs> I remember actually feeling like such a disappointment because <laughs> he had a pull-up bar and he was like, okay, do like a pull-up, like, like as fast as you can, you know, like a dynamic pull-up. Uh -huh. And I was like, <laughs> and he was like, oh no, no, no. Like, um, like go fast, you know? And I was like, <laughs> and, and he was fully laughing at me at that point, you know, he was like, dude, like you can't move fast, you know, at all. So I think I could grab small holds, yeah. but I couldn't move powerfully yet. Hmm. And, and I, and I think it has to do with the type of routes I liked and all that climbing at Flagstaff and stuff like that. I was always like a really like robotic, like slow climber. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's, it's really interesting. Cause I mean, you, you spent so much time 
on the wall climbing and you're such a technician. I think that is clearly like what has, you've spent so much time developing the skill of rock climbing mm-hmm. and now you're like hacking the strength and the power a little <laughs> bit with this training. Yeah. Because it sounds like it's just more efficient. It's just the more efficient way to go versus like taking half the year to bouldering. And so you're kind of getting the best of both, it seems like, in an interesting way. Like you're getting the technical practice with all the mileage, but you're doing a much more short focused two months, you know, of your year yeah. to, to really get the strength and power. That's yeah. And, and also, I mean, it's it's worth me noting, too, that I and, you know, some of my friends get angry when I like say things like this, but like in a global sense, I'm not that good at this stuff. Like, <laughs> like I, and that's kind of the magic with climbing, right? Is that like, if you put me in a gym with the other, like some nine B climbers, mm-hmm. I would unquestionably be the least impressive, like in a climbing gym doing like stupid human tricks and like hanging on small edges and stuff like that. Like I can campusing guarantee you camp. Oh my God. Campusing. Yeah, yeah. There's no way like they would all, like if you just took, you know, I don't know how many nine B climbers there are in the world, but if you took 10 of us, mm-hmm. it would be like J star for sure. in last, and then everybody else like fighting for third or fourth or whatever it is, you know, <laughs> and then Adam or I don't know. Uh-huh. So, but that's like the magic of climbing. And I think that to me, if doing like one arms and like, one finger, one arm levers or whatever kids are doing nowadays are, it was the most important thing. Then I would have invested a lot more energy into that. But like for me, ultimately at the end of the day, the most important thing is exploring and sending. Hmm. And that's where I've put, you know, I can talk about training because I have invested a ton of energy into this and it, and it does really matter to me. Mm -hmm. But if you really look at the overall history of my climbing and the landscape of what I've done and what I've focused my energy on. Yeah. 90% of my focus is on just sending, mm-hmm. just being at the cliff learning, you know, how to try hard, when to try, how much to rest, what routes I can do, I can't do, you know, how to use my feet, where to put my hands, all these kind of things. Like that's what I've spent the majority of my time on. Yeah. And then the other 10% has really been, like you said, like these hacks, like in the last five years where Hmm. I'm like, I'm like, well, I got as far as I can with all this like logistical crap, (laughs) you know, or like technique or whatever it is. Uh And I'm like, now I want to be able to do a one-arm pull-up, you know what I'm saying? And now I have to do a one-arm pull-up if I want to send the NAR. So that's kind of like how it's gone full circle, I guess, for me. Cool. That's awesome. I want to pivot with that. I really, um, that was a perfect segue. So I really want to talk to you about second go red pointing. Okay. Because I really think you might be I don't know. You're just one of the most prolific climbers anywhere. You've basically like sent America. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was uh, creeping on your 8A account. You have an 8A, you started logging everything. And you're one of those people where if you click on like the all ascents button, you know, my friend Mike Dalby says this, it's like the internet grinds to a halt. And it just like <laughs> takes like 10 minutes to load and then like hundreds and hundreds of routes pop up. So like at the time of this recording, for example, you've done over 350 routes, 14A or harder. And on your blog, I don't think you've even updated this in like three years, but like at the bottom of your about page on your blog, there's just this little note that says like 800 plus 513s, <laughs> <laughs> which is amazing. It's, um, but I, I think one of the reasons you've been able to do that so well is because it seems like you're so good at sussing out a route quickly and just firing it off next try. Hmm. One more thing I'll say on that. There's this old video of you climbing insurrection like five years ago oh yeah yeah, yeah. so insurrection yeah. is like a 14 bc thing at independence pass yeah and 
I watched it so many times because you show <laughs> That's up awesome. and you uh, just the approach. It was the same thing. The second go red pointing mm-hmm. approach. You stick clip up it in your flip flops. And then you go up it and like actually chalk everything and suss out all the moves. Yeah. And then you're just like, all right, cool. I think I can do it. I'm just going to wait an hour. We'll see. And then yeah. y- you fire it off. And I yeah. was fascinated. At the time, I like didn't know that people could do that. Or yeah. Could, yeah. Um, so yeah, I want to dig into that. Do you, how would you describe your process? Do you have a process for second go red pointing for sussing and breaking down a route for the, the quick ascent? How do you think about that? I do have a process and the one thing that perhaps has suffered because of that is my on-siding and my, and my flash, flash climbing, uh-huh. which is something that I haven't worked on as much as I'd like to, but it's been, um, I climbed a bit with Adam Andra and I know this is kind of a tangent, but I climbed a bit with Adam Andra in Canada, um, not last summer but two summers ago about a year and a half ago when he was trying that route disbelief at mm-hmm. Asafel, this like insane 9b thing that's like 25 feet long and uh we, we climbed together and he's a really nice guy and and awesome to share the crag with and a rope with and everything and um i watched his like just this insane fierceness that he brings to his first try climbing mm-hmm. and i really admired it and i was like that was freaking awesome because it was really cool to be with Adam and see that he's actually a human, hmm. but also to see these superhuman things that he does. Hmm. It made him feel a lot more like it made me feel a lot more inspired by him because I think in years past, I was always like, he's so strong. I don't even relate to him. So yeah. how do I even get inspired by him? You know, but climbing with him at the crag and seeing him, you know, try on this nine B thing, and have these like awesome, insane tries. But then at the same time, like there was a day when like I did this 14C thing and like he didn't do it. And I was like, oh my God, like this is in, you know, and he'd probably tried his thing like 10 times and you know, it'd probably done like 51 arm pull-ups before he got to the crag <laughs> or something for all I know. But but just just to see that like, basically what he brings to the table a little bit like like i mentioned with chris and ethan earlier is that he just tries so effing hard and i really appreciate that and to see his like eye of the tiger when he goes like he will never ever get on a route 14 b or under without trying to onside or flash it like no matter what wow even if it has no chalk and no draws he'll just rack up and just be like what is this how hard is it 14a okay put me on belay, you know? And you're like, whoa. And I have so much more reservation than that because I'm so much more reserved when it comes to like my 14A flashes or my 14B flashes, certainly. Mm -hmm. I'm like watching beta forever. And I'm like, I spend like weeks learning the crag before I even try. And I like learn about a route or I I have, I speculate that a route might be good for my style and, and I hold it back. And what I'd really like to do ultimately is find some kind of middle way where I can be more like Adam and just be like, if it's within my flash or onside ability, I'm going to try no matter what every time. Like, mm. cause that is really cool. And I think that's how you improve. Mm. But as far as to answer your question, finally about the second try stuff, um, I think one thing that I've really benefited from immensely in my climbing that I never thought was a strength until I started climbing with other people especially my girlfriend because my girlfriend Shana because she she's just been climbing now only for like five years or something Mm -hmm. so and we met three years ago so it's like I've seen her really progress a ton and something that 
I don't know exactly how or why I developed this strength, but I can remember really well. I can remember beta really, really well. Okay. To the extent where like I can go up a route one time and then I can like close my eyes and recite almost every hold. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. And, and, and what, the reason why I brought up Shayna is because like there were times when she was, you know, strong enough that she was climbing 513s and she'd have tried a route 10 times and she'd like get up to the crux and fall and be like, God, where did I put my foot? And I was like a hundred feet down on the ground. And I'd be like, no, it's two inches lower than that. Your left foot's two inches. Or like, you know, the, no, you don't use that undercling actually with the right hand. You only use it with three fingers, not four or whatever. Uh-huh. And that's when I started to realize like, oh, I, I think for whatever reason, I'm not sure why this is something that I'm pretty good at. And so ever since I've noticed that, I've tried to think of ways that I could encourage her and other people that were interested to improve. And there's a few like little things that I kind of came up with, but when it comes to the second go stuff or doing things fast, red pointing, especially anywhere near your limit, what it's really all about is removing hesitation, training Mm. your body and your mind, but ultimately removing any hesitation. And when you know a route, you're going to hesitate way less. And so the faster you can learn the route, the faster you're going to send it, period. That, that's the way I look at it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that trying to develop that memory is like, is, if, if your goal is to do things quickly, that it, it's incredibly important. What were the few things that you came up with? Oh, so the things I came up with that I really liked were, um, and one of them kind of stealing a bit from Robin Eversfeld, because I used to do this with her a bit, and she did it with the junior team or with the ABC team. Okay. But you basically go to like a spray wall or a bouldering wall where you can do a traverse. And then you have someone like your friend. It doesn't even have to be hard. It can be easy. But ultimately, you want it to be hard because things are much harder to remember when you're pumped for some reason. Mm. It's crazy. <laughs> but in the beginning, you can just have it be easy and basically just find that wall at the gym and have a friend just pick out you can even start by doing open feet, right? Uh-huh. And just pick out like one, two, three. That friend's just picking out random jugs on the wall for a traverse, right? Mm-hmm. And then maybe throw in an undercling and a side pull and then a cramp or whatever it is and make it like 20 moves to start and then just try and repeat it where they don't give you any help. Hmm. <clears throat> so it's like, here's 20 holds, go. And then it's you having to rack your brain and try and think. And, and the way I often remember roots is a little bit like a song. Like you can't, it's really difficult to think of a song in the middle or like Mm. the alphabet, right? Mm -hmm. When you're first learning the alphabet or when you learn a song, it's pretty hard to pick up wherever, you know? It's like pick up XYZ song when the woman says chair and you're like, uh, (laughs) you know? (laughs) But if you start from the beginning, it's a lot easier. Mm And I don't know if that's just my brain or every or, or every human's brain, but for some reason it just feels easier to start from the beginning. So I think that, um, you know, when I'm thinking about roots and trying to remember sections of roots, I just start from the beginning. I do a lot of visualization at night as well. Like on a project, I'll every night while I'm falling asleep and uh, every day during like a rest day, I'll always go over the roots several times in my head. I'll make a point to do that. Every single foot, every hand, like just go over it in my head, start to finish. Mm. Um, Are you visualizing how, like other things as well, I guess to what level of detail, like how you're going to feel on it, how pumped you are, things like that, or really just the movements? Yeah, a little bit, the feeling that I'm going to have. Or like one thing that I really like to do is after a really good try, like let's say I got close to sending, but I didn't quite send. Then five or 10 minutes later, while it's really fresh in my mind, 
I review the route in my head and I think about specifically like what I was feeling, you know, and I can go back and be like, oh, when I took that side pull, I remember feeling better than last time. And then like, oh, that was the part where I kind of messed up my foot. And then, and, and not even necessarily like saying, you know, characterizing those things as good or bad, mm-hmm. but just remembering the feeling that I had at each point, you know, I got to the rest, I felt a little bit better than before, but when I took that hold, something was wrong. And it's not even like, yeah, I'm not correcting. I'm not like, oh, I could do that better. I would do that worse or whatever. It's just like, that's the experience that I had. Mm. And I think somehow that has helped contribute to it as well. Huh. Just that, just feeling like, you know, and they've done all these crazy studies too with visualization where they say that um, the motor neurons are actually firing like yeah, in a yeah. really, really light way, like uh-huh. one one hundredth of their strength or one one thousandth of their strength. So there is some level of like, like especially I think for dancers, they found that it's like incredibly important for them because it's so much about memory. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think moral of the story is that I don't know what the best method is for developing that, but it, it's clearly important as far as, in my experience, it's very important. Mm-hmm. So I, I really do encourage people to try and, and do work with that if there's a way that they feel is, is helpful. Cool. And, and then I think the other half of like second try climbing is, again, like I said before, is kind of to some extent just saying, I'm not gonna try and flash this because that's one thing that can totally screw you over. I feel like a lot of times when it's something hard for you, and you try and flash, but you fail, or you try and on site, but you fail, then your second try is totally screwed because yeah. you probably didn't do it right <laughs> because you fell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so now you're gonna go back and you you kind of have to burn another try and that could blow your day. Like, right. Because on a really hard route, let's say you get to the top and you fall on your on site, mm-hmm. then you get one more try figuring it out and then the day's over. That's what I was kind of thinking when you mentioned Adam and your you know how much you admire his approach. It seems like your approach has always been like if, if it's someone who just has the goal of ticking all the boxes as efficiently as possible, yeah, it seems like your way makes a lot of sense because you're not yeah. going to risk, you know, blowing that first try yeah, and, you know, getting heinously pumped on an onsite doing bad beta or whatever it is. Yeah. So how do you think you'll balance those two things moving forward? It is really hard for me to balance because like at the end of the day, I don't care how many tries something necessarily takes me, but I just want to send. Yeah. And when you're, especially when you're on a short trip and you've only got a couple of days, if ultimately you just want to send, it's a better use of energy to just like go slow up the route and figure it out. But as far as balancing those two things, I think that I could actually use, I think that I could begin the process by uh, just trying to onsite more uh, 513s. Mm. Like not necessarily even things at my absolute limit, but stuff where I don't really care. Like I don't have to do a 13C first try to like be happy. I'm not gonna kill myself if I don't, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it'd be good, like especially on this upcoming trip, I think it'd be awesome to have a laundry list of like B, C's, D's, 14 A's and just like have one every couple of days that I just like give full to the death effort on, you know? Mm -hmm. And and then maybe not even go back to it. That's probably the hardest thing for me. Yeah. I'm so (laughs) stubborn, I'm like, if I try a route, I have to do it, you know? And, and I think I could actually benefit from just saying, I only get one try and then I have to move on, you know? But, yeah. but you know, I... I do you kind of see every climb in the world as like something on your to-do list? <laughs> no, no, not necessarily. Um, I get really obsessed with areas. Uh-huh. And I really like, like closing out an area. Yeah. 
you've done a lot of that. I really, <laughs> so, with it's, some places, it's awesome. other places it is really hard, but totally, but no, I, I get really obsessed, especially with a place like, I mean, these places are huge, so it's almost impossible, but with a place like Sirana or Seiz or Boliana or something where you're like, every freaking route here looks sick. Uh-huh. And you're like, well, I got six weeks. Let's see how much of it I can get done. You know? Uh-huh. <laughs> So in preparation for doing this, I, I listened to an interview you had done on the Triple Black podcast a few years ago with Dan Goodwin. And okay. one thing that really caught my attention in that, you were talking about how breaking into 515 a few years ago was really cool because it was like adding a page to the guidebook. Totally. Everywhere you went. Yeah. Like, it was like all these new things opened up. Yeah. So speaking to closing out areas, are there old areas that you're excited to go back to or that you plan to go back to now that you've kind of leveled up a little bit since you'd been there last and maybe some new things are, are on the table or opportunities for new development or things like that? Um, a little bit, um, both because there might be like a real super hard route there that I, that I wanted to try, but also because I can do the stuff that was once my limit a little bit faster. Mm. So, you know, I could plan a trip, like a trip I've been wanting to do for ages is go back to the red. (laughs) <laughs> that's because <laughs> i haven't been there for so long <laughs> that's so funny i'm laughing because bill ramsey was like tell jonathan he needs to go back to the red and establish 515 <laughs> <the> red. <laughs> well the red deserves a 515 it does deserve a 515 i don't know if that person will be me but but what i the reason i brought that up is because what i'm really interested in is all the little like i never did the golden ticket hmm. and um at the time when i was trying <laughs> zeke my dog is having a dream right now Speaking of the red, it's probably because I brought up the red because I I found him. He's a stray from the red. Oh I no got way! Ten years ago, yeah, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, at the, at the time, I actually was trying the golden ticket in 2010, and the jump move or whatever that like Michaela totally bossed was completely kicking my ass. And Adam Taylor was trying the honeycomb project next to it, uh-huh. and he was like, "Oh, dude, you can try this with me if you want," you know, which became pure imagination which i ended up doing and it became pure imagination um but i still haven't been back i haven't tried the golden ticket since 2010 yeah you know so there's other little stuff like that that i that i'd like to go back for but um yeah i mean as far as answering your question i i think i think not so much um to be honest i in a broader sense I'm kind of planning and hoping to move away a little bit from sport climbing. Eventually, there's things I still really want to do Yeah, um, that are really important to me. But um, I feel like I've reached, I don't want to say my potential, because I do think that there's some things, obviously, that I haven't done yet that I want to do, which is why I'm still like gung-ho about the sport climbing thing. But I, I feel like I've reached a level of mastery with sport climbing that like climbing is so big and I've spent so much time and dedicated so much energy on this one thing that I would love to feel like I mastered a couple other disciplines in the same way that I have sport climbing. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't want it to sound, I don't want that to sound egotistical because I always, I feel like the best attitude and I try to have this forever is to constantly always be the student and never the teacher, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and I know that sport climbing has tons more to teach me, but what I mean by the term mastered is just that I've far exceeded my own expectations and I've worked on it for a long time. Mm -hmm. And 
when I step into other disciplines of climbing, which also mean a lot to me, I feel oftentimes bewildered. Mm. And to me, that's exciting because what originally interested me about climbing and about sport climbing was that sense of discovery and challenge. And it's not that I don't still feel that way with sport climbing. It's just that I just feel like I have so much to learn in a few other disciplines. And it's not that I'll give up on sport climbing forever um, or even that, you know, I think honestly to keep my relationship with my girlfriend, (laughs) I'll probably have to do at least one big sport climbing trip a year, (laughs) which I'm totally psyched on. And there's still like, I have pages and pages of guidebooks that I still want to do, you know, so it'll, it'll never end in that respect. But ultimately what I'd like to do is I have a couple more really hard ones on the horizon, um, that I hope to send the first half of this year. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I'd really like to step into the realm of wall climbing, uh, more than I have before. I have a bit in the past, but I'd like to do a lot more of that. And then also hard single pitch track climbing. And that's where I'd really like to ultimately go. Like I'd like to spend a handful of years doing those things and trying to master those things. Cool. Yeah, because I've done a little bit in the past, and I and I and you know on paper I've climbed at a relatively high level in those arenas, but yeah, you've done some hard stuff on the diamond. Still, yeah, but still, like when I go out there, like it's funny because Alex Hall's one of my best friends, and we climb together all the time. Yeah, and we boulder or we sport climb together a lot, and we'll go to the cliff and. I'll be like, dude, we should really go try this wall or this wall or this wall. And he's always like, dude, it's 14B. It'll be so easy for you. And I'm like, you don't get it. Like (laughs) walls are freaking hard, man. And like scary and you're on it and there's like things and there's logistics and all this. But to him, he just sees how strong I am at sport climbing. And he just thinks that that's going to, that that type of strength is just going to apply to every discipline, which Mm. it totally does not. Mm -hmm. It helps you, but... I kind of like it in some ways. Like I like going into the wall thing or the track climbing thing and being like, oh, I'm a little scared. Or mm-hmm. like, I don't totally know what's best to do right now, you know, where I don't have that feeling as much anymore with sport climbing. So um, the challenge has become slightly more arduous <laughs> and uh, less adventurous, which is something that I want to try and get out of my climbing uh, over the next couple of years. You want to lean more into the adventure thing. A little bit, yeah. yeah. And, cool. and well, you know, when I say that, like, I'm not going to take the level down to like, I'm not going to take the level down a huge amount. Mm-hmm. It's just that I want to push myself in those realms and see like how far I can go. Mm-hmm. Just take everything I've learned, take it into a different setting and like really push it and see how far I can go. Cause that is so exciting to me. And like doing the, I, I bolted two multi-pitch routes here in Vegas. And then I bolted two while I was in China on this recent trip. And that, I was like, holy shit, this is like what I was made to do. Oh, I yeah? I just felt, yeah, I just, like it was so fun. Yeah, yeah, just like, because root development's always something I've been so interested in and and being way up on the wall and having that much like freedom of movement and just, it's just, you know, yeah. So like the ultimate dream would be to, like the ultimate, ultimate dream would be to find some like you know, 9A or 9A plus, like 10 pitch route somewhere. Oh, know? sick. Like that would be, to me, that would be the single coolest thing I could do with my climbing. Do you think there's potential for that sort of thing around Vegas? Probably not around, probably not in the US. Okay. Sadly, just because yeah. we don't have very many like tall limestone walls. Yeah. But there's a few things in, 
Europe that I've had my eye on for a few years that I think could have something like that or close to it, you know, and I'm, I'm sure I'll strike out a, lo- a bunch along the way and whatever, but yeah, yeah my brain jumped ideas. to that short video of, of Chris. Yeah. Mom Rabai. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. One of the main areas to check out. Gotcha. Yeah. And Switzerland is just, as far as tall limestone Alpine walls, Switzerland is just the, the boss. It's, cool. There's so much there. It's insane. So yeah. you, it seems like that's much more interesting to you than like free climbs on El Cap, for instance, or, or both. Do you have goals with that sort of thing? Um, I don't really, I, yeah. I had an El Cap experience, um, with Tommy trying the Don wall in 2012 for mm-hmm. about six weeks. And it was incredibly formative. I learned as much as you would think you would hanging out with Tommy <laughs> for six weeks on the freaking Don wall. Yeah. Um, but I can't say that I was totally in love with, El, uh, with Yosemite. Mm-hmm. It didn't quite like do it for me. And mm-hmm. I, and I've tried to figure out exactly why, cause it always feels like blasphemy when I say that aloud, you know, even if I'm like alone in a dark room, I'm like, I don't really like, <laughs> I don't really like Yosemite. And I feel Look like there's like the ghosts of like, you know, the entire climbing community is like shitting on me in that moment. But, um, it makes sense though. I think, but you, yeah, you've dedicated yourself to mostly <clears throat> steep sport climbing. Yeah. And also like the scene there is kind of tough and, mm. um, we did some climbing that I really enjoyed, but a lot of it felt, you know, like on one, like, like the full enjoyment spectrum, like on the one side is like, you know, the mother load. And on the other side is like, I don't know what the other side would be like some like heinous, sharp, bouldery quarry, quarry somewhere in the UK or something in There's the rain. Some heinous <laughs> yeah. I had an off yeah. with like, to me, it was a little too far on the heinous side and a little not like the, as far as just the actual movement and the holds and everything yeah was like a little more heinous than it was enjoyable mm-hmm. and i think that it it's altogether totally possible that it's because i'm not very good at that stuff that it feels that way and maybe when i got better at it my mind would change um i'd really like to go to yosemite for some single pitch stuff mm. um but as far as walls there i absolutely intend to free climb the captain it's just not on the top of my list yeah it's somewhere but it's it's not up yeah. up too high yeah <laughs> you gotta listen to that man you gotta listen to whatever i know yeah you feel exactly pulled towards yeah that's super cool yeah um i know you have a project at the fins are you willing to talk about that at all yeah for sure okay yeah. mm-hmm. are you um tell me about that i know you've put a couple seasons into it it's my understanding is that you did two routes you did mele leche yeah and male, Al- leche. male yeah. leche and algorithm mm-hmm. and this is basically the first one straight into the second one. Like, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So like yeah. 14D bouldery straight into like 14D endurance climb. Yeah. Um, how's that thing going for you? Um, it's, it's going, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's been a, it's definitely been unquestionably the longest process in all of my climbing. Mm. Um, and there's a few reasons for that. One is just that finding the right conditions for that kind of climbing is so hard. Yeah, it's like just off vertical, super thin technical. Bad holds really far apart from one another. Like half of the route, I'm like totally starfished and um, (laughs) I have really super dry skin. So it tends to be really dry and windy there. And when it's dry and windy, it's really hard for me to grab little small holds, you know? I do better with like, medium humidity like 40 percent uh where a lot of people i think prefer like sub 30 or 20 percent humidity mm-hmm. i'm like fine up to 60 percent humidity most of the places i'm like psyched wow yeah which is different for, for most people so there it's hard it's dry it's often really windy and i've had a hard time finding ideal conditions for myself 
And then on top of that, it's just a really, really hard route. Uh, the way that it came about was basically I did algorithm uh, in 2012, and then algorithm starts on a 13A called Sun of Discovery, and then it kind of traverses the wall for a little ways, and then it goes straight up all the way to the summit. And then uh, in 2015, I went back. I went back years after that, but in 2015, I went back, and I thought I kind of spotted a line that would go directly into algorithm. Mm. And I thought that that would be like really, really cool. I saw the line, I put some bolts in. And at first when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is gonna be like 14A. (laughs) So I was like, probably won't make algorithm 9A plus, but it would be like really hard and it could be really cool. So I was like, oh, sweet. So I started trying it. And then it was like, I tried it for like a couple days and I realized right away that it was nails hard and it was way harder than I thought. I had to move some bolts and stuff because it was like all crunk. And then I put in enough work on it that season that it was clear I was never going to do it into algorithm. So I just put in an anchor okay. at like the sixth bolt. Gotcha. Because I was like, I'm getting here. You know, I can move on for now. And so I, that's how Malaleche was born. Okay. But my intention was always to make it a, a full line. So then I went back in the fall of 2017 and I tried, started trying from the Malaleche start. And... It's basically something like low 513 into probably like at least V12 boulder Mm. straight into like no rest. Like there's one clipping hold for one hand and then you go straight into probably at least V8, maybe V9. Mm -hmm. And then you are where you would be had you just climbed the 13A start. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it dramatically changes everything. Uh Uh-huh. And... I basically tried it a bunch that year. If I'm remembering right, and it was 2017, which I'm pretty sure it was, it was really smoky and there were tons of fires and stuff and it was crazy mm-hmm. hot. It was crazy hot well into September. So I was just like, screw this. So I left, I went to rifle, did some other things. Then I came back in 2018 and had a pretty good go at it, made some progress, but it was funny. It was like every time I did well on the bottom, then like the algorithm crux, which is really funky and the crux of algorithm is just like this bizarre move that's like super low percentage and like really awkward. And it's one thing if you've got a 13A you've got to do on rapid fire to get to that move. But uh-huh. suddenly you've got like when you have like a freaking 9A to get there, you're like, all right, this is a different story, you know? Yeah. Um, and I would have good tries on the bottom, but then not in the top and vice versa. And it just like never worked out. Then I went back again last year, 2019, and I definitely had my best effort on it thus far okay i one hung the route and i had some really really promising links i think i climbed it from yeah i did i climbed it from like one move in to the low crux to the summit or something oh my gosh yeah stuff like that but you know that was like all the stars were aligning for me to do that and Mm. then and then i couldn't get another day like that or my skin would blow up and i'd have to wait three days or whatever it is so um so yeah it's just this for me, it's crazy hard, and and it's uh it's a style that I used to feel like a total expert in. And now, maybe it's just how hard this route is, or something. But all of a sudden, the style feels really hard to me, and it's just, I mean, it's been an emotional ride investing so much time in it. Hmm. You know, I mean, if you include the amount of time I invested in algorithm and in Malaleche, it's basically been five seasons. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's just something that like you know, I won't not do. (laughs) I mean, it's just, 
too important to me, you know, and, right and I'll just try it until I do it. And I don't care if it takes 10 years or whatever. I'll just do it. Okay. Like, and I, and I don't care about how hard it is or like any numbers or anything like that. Like all I care about is just that for me personally, and I don't know how other people will experience the, the route, but like for me personally, it'll be, it's the most effort I can imagine try, putting into anything hmm. so far. Maybe I find that 9A plus big wall and I get like psycho about that one day. But for now, it's just mostly an issue. It's mostly I prioritize it because in all honesty, it's that thing that I haven't been able to do. Basically every other hard route I've tried, I've done. And that (laughs) one I haven't done. So I just, I just, I know that that means that I have to keep trying it. So still at the top of the list. For sure. Yeah, Yeah. It's, it's really high. I mean, you know, who knows how I'll feel when it actually happens, but in some ways, you know, I spoke to you about wanting to move away from sport climbing. In some ways, I kind of feel like if I do that route, that will be my impetus to like mm. at least start doing other things. But until I do that route, I think I have to like stay on it and keep trying and mm. hopefully go back. So I'm going to go back this spring, which Sick. I'm excited about. Yeah, because I've never tried it in the spring. Okay. And I've never been to the Fins in the spring. And I think that I'm hoping that it's a little more humid, <clears throat> like a little more like stormy mm. and it might be better for my skin and my conditions might find some like more humid days and not. Cause dude, at the fins, you'll get like back to back to back days where the humidity is like 12%. Mm-hmm. And I was just, for me, it's like, I almost can't climb. So I was yeah. in, the, in the gym the other day. I saw Bill Ramsey dip his hand into a plastic bag with wet towels in it <laughs> yeah. before getting on the treadmill. Totally. Yeah. Do you, do you, have you ever thought about that? Like a second chalk bag with like mm. a towelette? <laughs> I've experimented with some bunch of cool, weird stuff. Uh-huh. Um, Doug Phillips, the owner of Metolius, has sent me a number of different chalk. Like, we've kind of been messing around with chalk a little bit. Trying okay. to figure some stuff out. Cool. He's super researched on it. Wet and chalk. He's done a bunch of stuff. Well, you can add water to chalk, and it makes it, you know, when you kind of, you know, for most climbers, they're like, oh, no, damn it, my chalk bag screwed up. But for me, I'm all psyched when you kind of get that <laughs> humidish chalk. Uh-huh. And I'm not talking to the point where it's like toothpaste, but there's just like a little bit of humidness. I've been experimenting a little bit with that. Huh. Um, and then the other thing that I've had gotten recently that has helped immensely, but sadly it doesn't last that long, is uh, Rhino Spit. Yeah. Is like right on. super sick. I Rhino love that stuff. Solution. Rhino Skin Solutions, they're, yeah. they're spit. Okay. Yeah, they, they make this stuff called Spit, which is basically like a little spray that you put on your hands literally before you climb for people with really dry skin. Yeah. I'll link to it in the show notes. I'm, yeah. I'm good friends with Justin. Amy oh, right on. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a homie. And, uh, and full disclaimer, I didn't know you were going to say that. I actually do some work for them. Oh, I nice. Okay. Their, sweet. They're like Amazon listings and stuff. Oh, sweet. I, I just want to like put that out there. So no one's okay, like, what sweet. the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I should also say that I'm a extremely loyal climb on user and I've been with climb on for many, many, many years. Um, but as far as that specific product, uh, I don't, I mean, nobody else even makes it yeah. and, and Justin's the man and he, uh, and he gave me some to test and I've just been like, wow, this is sweet. Sick. Especially in the desert out here. You're like, yeah, just like for me, I'll do like two sprays and not all the time. Like I don't right always feel you like I need up? it. I normally spray like once or twice in each hand, like as I'm tying my shoes hmm. and then once or twice in each hand, like the moment I set off the ground. Huh. Yeah. Okay. And it's one of those things where. 
You know how when you're like really trying to the death, you kind of forget about all those subtleties, you know? Like, you know how when you're getting on the route, you're like, should I have the sweatshirt on or not or whatever? And then it really doesn't matter in the end. Huh. It's a little bit like that where I just want to have a good, I think for morale and for my mental, it's like when I leave the ground, I want to feel like, yes, let's go, you know? And and even though the rhino spit kind of only lasts for like 20 moves or something, it's just that feeling of leaving the ground and being like, get me to the top, you know, mm. as opposed to being like, oh, my hands are, oh, you know, like having that like hesitation somewhere. Mm. Um, it'd be awesome if there was some way to contrive like a, I've even thought about like putting it at a rest or something, uh-huh. <laughs> but it'd be, it'd be so weird and probably, <laughs> I don't know what it would, it would probably, I don't know. <laughs> Get a holster for your harness. Yeah, I know. Some yeah, spit totally. in it. But yeah, so, so I hope, you know, I, do you think that thing will be 15B? That'd be my guess. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it's, it's probably 15C. Really, okay. It's probably really hard to tell in that style too, because that's just it's such super a hard. fickle, tricky style. It's super fickle. And especially it's hard to tell because part of the hardest climbing is the algorithm crux. And that is just, that crux is so incredibly polarizing. Mm. Like I was there with Paige the year that she did it. Mm-hmm. And like, in all honesty, she made that move look so easy. Wow. It was crazy. Huh. And she is an amazing climber. That's 99% of the reason why. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it helps that she's got a big ape index. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's really good on her feet. But it was wild to be there because Aryan, you know, her husband, is like a V15 boulder. And I think he did the move like twice in two weeks. Wow. And then Melissa Lenev, incredibly strong French climber. Yeah. She was there like, you know, maybe doing the move like one in every 10 tries. And, and like for me, I trained specifically for that move last year and I got it to the point where it felt really good, but you know, still it was like a bit of a toss up. Like mm. I was doing algorithm as its own pitch almost every try. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Which was crazy. Um, cause I want it to be that way. I want to feel like if I ever, cause I, my best try is falling on the, like, I think I mentioned like V8 or V9 traverse mm-hmm. into algorithm. I've fallen like on the last move of that. That's my best try. And then you get a pretty good rest and then you do algorithm. So that's after that Mala Leche. Yes. That's like you've done Mala Leche and you're like going into algorithm. And um, I want it to be a kind of situation where if I ever get through that, I go to the summit. Yeah. Which is a lot to ask because it's like, it's just hard. It's hard for me. (laughs) It's really hard for me. I don't know. But I, yeah, I'll just, I'll just keep trying. It'll just be like this thing. So I'll just keep, I should like buy a cabin or something up there. <laughs> but it's a long commute at this point. I know, I know. Yeah. It's farther now, man. When I was like kind of on the road or kind of living out of my parents' house a little bit in Colorado, it was like not that bad, but it's, it's a little bit farther from here. Is it important to you to try to establish 515B in America? Um, I, I would really like to. It mm-hmm. would, it would be, it'd be something that I would be really proud of. Do you have um, any others, any other candidates or any other projects that you're working on in that range? Not really. Okay. No. It's just such a hard thing to find. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something that a lot of people don't totally realize is like 515, part of the reason it's so rare is because it's so hard. But a big part of the reason it's so rare is because just finding one is so hard. I mean, I've done a lot of route development and walking and looking and, and I mean, the only two I've established, both at Potosi, are like 
they're sick and they're really hard and they're and they're rad but you know they're kind of like you do the hard thing on this and then you you know it's a bit like santa Linia style where you're just kind of like trying to piece together the hardest thing you can mm. so that's why like the thing at the fins is so special because you know it's like just this line up the wall mm. you know and there's not really you know it's just there and there's there's not many places like that especially in the u.s where it's possible you know i think there's a few spots where there's probably something out there and and it'd be awesome to find some more stuff but especially 9b dude oh my god because like 9a's are hard enough to find 9a pluses are like impossible to find and then 9b's i mean that's why we only have one in the states yeah yeah and yeah so yeah i mean I'm all ears, you know, if somebody's, <laughs> somebody's listening and you have got a crag in your backyard or you are a pilot and you saw something crazy, you should definitely send me an email. <laughs> but yeah, man, it's, it's tough. Tough to find. Yeah. Well, I'm psyched. When are you going to head up to the fins? Uh, the fins I'm going, <clears throat> um, we're going to play it a little bit by ear, but like the plan is to go up like end of May. Okay. And try and be there for like june basically okay i think i've haven't been there in the spring but i've talked with a lot of my good friends who go there all the time and they've kind of said that they think that's the best window for what i'm looking for nice yeah right on yeah i'll be cheering for you yeah thanks man yeah thanks so what's next though you're going to italy yeah well freaking hopefully man this coronavirus thing oh is it so crazy is it real it's real it's uh italy's experiencing like the biggest breakout outside of asia right now oh wow i know man it's so heinous like we we honestly woke up this morning and we were like, are we going to change our ticket? Like, are we going to go to Santalina? Like, what the hell is going to happen? Um, but fingers crossed, we're still going to Italy. I really hope we do because I'm so excited to go and try this route and just to have a climbing experience in Italy because I've never climbed there. Yeah. You have um, a specific objective? Yeah. I want to do this route from Stefano that's called oh, um, Lapsis. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's the first 9B in Italy. It's a cool, like obscure, old school crag. It's yeah. like my favorite type of thing. It's like where a lot of the, I think the first 8C plus in Italy there is there as well. Okay. And maybe even the first 8C or one of the first 8Cs, if not. It's kind of like the style is different, but I think historically it feels a bit like the Bukes of Italy or something. Okay. It's like really integral in the foundation of hard sport climbing in Italy. So for me, mm. I'm like way into that kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, it's small and Almost nobody I know has even been there, but I've got a couple buddies who have gone, and I've talked a bit with Jorg Verhoven. He's tried the route a bit, a little bit. Got some info. Um, for got some info for the route, and, and then I talked to Stefano, and I think I talked to Adam a little bit too, because um, Adam's down the route. But I'm trying to think of. But the, yeah, that's basically it. So so yeah, we're going to Italy. We leave on Saturday, which is like five days from now. Yeah. And yeah, hopefully we can freaking avoid the any kind of weird shutdowns or anything in regards to the coronavirus. But mm-hmm. we're, I think we might change our ticket. We were originally going to fly into Milan. Mm-hmm. Milan's like having kind of some shit going on with that. So we might end up flying to France, doing a little bit longer drive. And just skirt to around it. Certain, make certain that we can like get there and stuff. But I've got some buddies who are like on the ground there and they're like, dude, it's all good. You know, it, okay. it just, I think it's just, I wouldn't want to like be packed up and then Saturday get to the airport in vegas and they're like oh you can't fly in anymore you know and then have no backup and like god forbid i would miss a climbing day you know mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so like yeah we're but yeah we're we're really looking forward to it man it's gonna be sweet Sick. and uh 
and yeah, I hope all the preparation goes well and at least I'll try my ass off, even if it doesn't result in the send. It's, it's always a good feeling to try really hard, you know? So Love it. Yeah. That's awesome. I think Stefano had a video of that. He did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'll yeah. find that and I'll link to it in the show notes. Oh, sweet. Yeah, you yeah. should. Yeah. It's a cool video. Yeah, yeah. I think I remember seeing that. It looks like a really there's these, cool rep. Also, there's these freaking awesome photos from Jan Novak. Okay. He's Czech actually, but he lives in France now in Briançon. And I traveled with him in China last winter. Mm-hmm. He took these really freaking sweet photos of Adam, like going to the death on the final crux of the route. I'm sure you'll find them if you look up the route. Okay, but it's like, cool. They're like, it's cool because there's like a lot of emotion. And Jan's just like one of the best in the huh. game. So he's the one who took like the Margot photos and stuff. He's like the man. You Got know? you. The, the one of her like sending biography and like, yeah. But but anyways, yeah, it's a it's a cool little quirky zone, man. It's funny because I've been like, you know, chatting with all my friends and even like pro climber friends or whatever. And they're like, where are you going again? And I'm like, I'm going to Andono. And they're like, where the, where is that? Like, what the hell? Like, why don't you go to like Finale or like somewhere everyone knows about or Arco, you know? Uh-huh. Like, just weird. And I like these obscure zones. <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. <laughs> That's awesome. What is something that you have been especially grateful for lately? Oh, man. Um, the two things. The first thing, definitely, first and foremost, is, and, and I don't want this to sound like a plug or anything like that, but I'm just so incredibly grateful for my sponsors mm. because I've been with them. This is my 11th or 12th year with Arcteryx. Same for Metolius. 10th or 11th with Sportiva. With Maxim, I want to say it's been nine years and I think with Climb On, it's probably been six years, seven years, something like that. And then I just started with Fizz Advantage this year. Um, but I just feel really grateful to them because they, especially for me, like the big ones, like especially Arcteryx, they've just been so supportive. And like I, I, I'm on my way to owning a house now and these utter dreams that I would never have imagined before mm-hmm. you know i can feel that the industry is growing and there's more opportunity and it's exciting and at the same time it's just when you dedicate your life to something you want to feel some amount of affirmation that you know it's been worth it mm-hmm. you know and i've always felt that from my community and my close community and they're my people and they're my friends and my community and my and my everything and and then that's totally the way and furthermore you know i've felt that from my brands but just like especially this year in the last couple years to see them really step up you know i'm going to them and i'm kind of saying like you know i'm not like a 24 year old living in my truck anymore like i'm 34 i'm trying to like have a grown-up life and like to see the way that they have been able to support me and and do it in a way that they're really happy about and proud about is like absolutely incredible to me. And I feel so grateful because I never, ever would have dreamt that. You know, when I first started, when I first left college, I was like, I think I have a shot at this climbing thing. I think that I can get like a trip to Europe paid for. <laughs> I, like genuinely, I was yeah, like yeah. working as a root setter and I was like, dude, I'm pretty sure I had my Arcteric sponsorship at that point. I was like, there was kind of like, they floated the idea of maybe sending me to Europe and that would be insane. You know, like I could go to Seyus. Wouldn't that be sick? Cause there's no way I could afford that on my own uh-huh. at the time. And, you know, to go from having that mentality to being like, 
have a house and I'm not like rich, you know, but like to be someone living in the middle class from climbing income is absolutely mind blowing. So mm. yeah, just major shout outs to those brands, uh, for feeling like I was worth it and giving me the opportunity to, to not only like do everything that I can do in my athletic life, but also to like have a real life too, mm. you know, cause that's, that's something that you just, it's one thing to have a brand stand behind you and be like, we want to make sure your footwork is the sickest, you know, but it's another thing to be like, we want to make sure you can like pay for your healthcare. Mm. Yeah. That's like, whoa, that's like next level to me. So that's been, that's been something I've been thinking about a lot over the last like year for sure. Cool. Yeah. That's great to hear, man. Yeah. I mean, you've definitely earned it. Not just with like the amount of passion and effort you put into your climbing, but you work a lot too. You ride yeah. a lot. I've seen you ride a lot for these brands. You represent them really well. I saw the the light rail from Atolius. Oh yeah, I actually got one in the van. I'm psyched. Sick, to, dude. Psyched oh, to play I'm with so it. glad but, to yeah, hear you, that. You cool. helped develop a little portable fingerboard with them. Yeah. That yeah, it's great. It's cool. Do yeah, you still write? Oh, uh, I do. Yeah, I is write. The blog dead. The blog is okay. So <laughs> this is a perfect opportunity to mention a few things. My my blog, which. I hate to even say the name anymore because I'm so disgusted with what's happened. But basically my blog forever was JSTAR in Orbit. Uh I had the domain name for 10 years and then the domain name ran out and I just slept on it. And somebody else bought it and has been like writing these articles, like writing these articles and signing it with my name. And it's like the bane of my existence because it, they couldn't be more antithetical to what I like am passionate about. It's about this bullshit about like getting followers and like whatever. Anyways, to close that chapter, I bought the domain name jonathansegris.com. Uh-huh. And so all the archives from everything that's happened before are all there, jonathansegris.com. Okay. And then I am going to start writing there again because I like it as an outlet and because... I want to drive traffic there so that people don't keep going to JSTAR in orbit and thinking I'm, I'm writing that total bullshit. <laughs> so it's like, it's been a bit epic. I've like tried, oh you know, God. I've been, I've been like trying to like, you know, I talked to a bunch of like web developers and stuff and it's just like, I'm at a point now where unless I get like a lawyer yeah. to write some shit, like they can kind of, they sadly can like basically do whatever they want, you know? So Damn. It's like, it totally sucks. I never, I was like, who would do that? Yeah. Who does that? That's so interesting because I saw, I don't think I even read it. I saw the last post that you're talking about. Yeah, it yeah. It was like, use this app to like help get followers and, <laughs> yeah, and launch and your like, career. And I was kind of like, just confused. Didn't really you're put much like, thought into they it. must be paying him a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's been a oh total bummer. God. So what a pain in the ass. Yeah, it was, I've spent like a few mornings of my life trying to sort it out, but it just like wouldn't happen. So, so JonathanSegers.com. JonathanSegers.com okay. has everything that i've ever written still there and i and i will i would like to start doing more content there and then the other thing is i write blogs for my brands yeah and that's that's kind of a little bit where my enthusiasm has gone you know i write for the bird blog um i write for la sportiva is that arcteryx that's arcteryx blog um and i look at that a little differently i look at it as like a self-edited magazine article where i put a lot more effort into making it really high quality mm-hmm. um but you do a good job I thanks lo- yeah, man I thanks love a lot your thanks yeah. and and i i like writing and, and and i'd like to write more so it's good to hear you i really appreciate that and and i hope that um i can do some more stuff for my own blog and for the other blogs in the future cool yeah sick <laughs>
But yeah, don't go to J Star in orbit anymore. It's like sad. It's a sad, sad scene. <laughs> Where else can people find you? Uh, I mean, you're on the Instagrams. I'm on Instagrams. I quit Facebook two years ago, and okay. I never looked back. All right. So I highly recommend it for everyone listening. Nice. Um, just too distracting, or yeah, just like another thing. Yeah. Know? Okay. Is Instagram the main thing? Instagram's the main thing. Yeah, I don't even. I have a Twitter, but I don't even really do that much anymore. It's mostly just Instagram. Are you Jonathan Segrist or J Star in Orbit on there? I think on my Twitter, I'm J Star in Orbit actually, but on Instagram, I'm Jonathan Segrist. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'll check and I'll link to him. Oh, sweet. In the Thanks. show notes. Yeah. But yeah, I mostly do, and I do like some stories every now and then, and I'll do a takeover and every now and then and stuff. But like, yeah, mainly just like posting rad pictures. And um, one thing that I've really been psyched on recently is just uploading like some really basic ass video. Okay. Like send footy or like an iPhone footy of like whatever. Sick. And I don't always get it, but sometimes I'll set up my phone and I'll get that. So I do have a YouTube channel. Oh, nice. Yeah. and And it's really like ghetto you know it's like not produced but you know i there's think there's something so special about yeah there yeah. is there's something so special about that like oh what did that actually what actually happened? exactly what's the context you know totally yeah i love i love watching that sort of stuff so yeah me too cool um and then the last thing i'll say in regards to that kind of stuff is i i'm back on board with epic tv this year i did a bunch of stuff with them a number of years ago um i really like the people over there and they came back to me. They It was pretty cool. They gave me quite a bit of creative freedom. And they also just like had some ideas themselves and whatever. But I'm doing a six-part series this year. Oh, cool. So there'll be a bunch more video type stuff for me. Three of them will be like just climbing story related. And then three of them will be like kind of how-to-y type like fun whatever stuff. I'm, I'm going to do one on a little portable hangboard workout with my with the light rail um just like some simple stuff that people can do with any portable hangboard Sick. uh and then i'm not sure exactly what the other ones will end up being but as part of that i got video my friend nate lyles from idaho got video of me on 100 proof oh sick. So that'll be on there nice um that should come out in the next month or something i would think or okay month or two months whenever he's done with it cool but, i'll check if it's out by the time this comes out right which, on. It, which it might be I'll, yeah right I'll be on sure to yeah perfect it. Yeah. Awesome. Sick. Are you going to link up with Tara Kersner in the fence? Um, I, I feel bad because <laughs> like, you know, we originally planned this whole thing and we're, uh, we're making a film for La Sportiva about okay. the mega proj and the fins. And, yeah. and it was like, you know, we linked up on year one and it was like, yeah, dude, sick. Yeah. Like let's, let's do it. You know? Like, yeah. She's like kind of filming every try. And then it was like, <laughs> okay, well, I'm not gonna film tomorrow, you know, like like you're doing really good, but like maybe you're not gonna send this time around. So then it was like, oh, she come back the next year. And then it was like, eh. <laughs> you know, so and it, the thing has just been more drawn out than we planned. So yeah. um, you know, I think Tara would still like to be up there for the actual send. So maybe this season or next season or next season or whenever it is, <laughs> if I'm like, hey, I'm getting really close, she might like run up and get some footy. Cool. But um there is a mega film project coming out on that, and that, that'll be really cool. And Sportiva's put a ton of support behind it, um, and it's going to be really quirky and weird <laughs> yeah. and uh, and awesome. So I just need to send the damn thing, and then we can put the film out. <laughs> I but, expect no less from yeah, you we'll and see. Tara. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be super cool. Cool. So. One thing I've been curious about, so someone that travels as much as you do, that's engaged with as many different climbers in as many different areas across all different levels, 
Are there themes that you're seeing as far as what's allowing climbers to succeed? Or maybe another way of answering, asking the question would be, do you think there's things that are holding a lot of us back or commonalities or consistencies there? I do think so. I think that one of the main things that we touched on a bit earlier is the lack of focus on outside climbing Hmm. in general. I think that people... And it suits the working life really well, so it's hard to, like, totally rag on it. But a lot of people tend to spend, like, all this time preparing, and then when they go outside, they only try at their limit, maybe. Hmm. Or, you know, I like the way that Steve Bechtel puts it. If I'm remembering correctly, he says that in the end, you want, like, over the course of an entire year, you want 75% of your time actually doing your activity. And 25% of your time training for that activity, you know, like practice versus training. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you consider like gym climbing as training, then very few people reach that ratio. Sure. Yeah. And I just think that generally speaking, the training stuff really helps. It does. It can, it can improve your climbing dramatically quickly. It can help you supersede a plateau it can also help you improve in ways by eliminating variables you can improve in ways that that you might not ever be able to do through climbing but all that being said i do think that like man a lot of people have gotten really strong and all they do is try hard and they go outside Mm -hmm. you know and i do think that there's a ton of value there and it's worth considering, you know, for, for people who really want to improve in their climbing, not just in how strong they are, but, you know, how they approach a project or an onsite or whatever mentally. And also just, like, keep the morale high. I mean, it's pretty damn nice to be out in the sun or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Oh, yeah, that's why we started doing all this <laughs> Exactly, <training> and... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Steve writes that, about that a lot in his book, Logical <laughs> Progression, where he's uh-huh. like, Remember, the purpose of this is to get better at the climbing thing, you know? Dude, like, I fall into that trap. I'm like, I love climbing so much, I'll skip climbing. And yeah, just yeah train. exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's interesting. So it, it seems like the outdoor climbing, but then also you mentioned this try hard thing. Like I looked at your Instagram the other day, and if you click on your homepage, it just says your name, and then it just says try hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I like to think of that as like my brand. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like if I, if I had a brand, that's what I try and do, Uh huh. you know? And that's your catchphrase. Ultimately, like if it's outside, if it's in the gym training, if it's like checking out a new thing or whatever, I just think that if there's a golden rule, that's it, you know, try hard. Yeah. <laughs> Sick. When it seems like nothing else will work, I promise that try hard will probably work. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jonathan, this has been such a pleasure. Thanks yeah, so much likewise, for all your man. time, Thank man. You. I have, um, I, I wanted to tell you, so I have, I have an old poster of you climbing onto oh, Bolt sweet. or Not To Be. Oh, yeah, yeah. sweet. <laughs> that actually, Andy Mann photo. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's at my buddy's house back in Bend. I was renting a room from him, so it's in his garage still. Oh, cool. And it's all tattered. Like, the corners are all ripped out. Because, oh, cool. like, I had my fan right there, and it's right next to my hangboard. But it's you, and it's try hard. It's you onto Bolt. I think, like, seven of your fingers are taped up. And yeah, like, yeah, I've never totally. seen someone crimping so hard. Yeah. But that poster, man, it's helped me through hanging on that fingerboard. A bunch of seconds on the fingerboard, so... That's, that's awesome, man. And I, and I have to say like, you know, pro climbers aren't necessarily like changing the world, 
I mean, Alex Honnold maybe is, <laughs> but the rest of us, like, we're not really like, we're not changing the world. And a lot of times I even think like, is this just selfish? Is it just like nothing? And, and in a lot of respects, I think that ultimately it kind of is. But when I hear stuff like that, and when I hear that people are genuinely inspired or that something I said or something I did helped them to overcome some obstacle in their life, even if it's just like getting to that seven seconds or whatever it is, you know, yeah, that to me has such immense value because that's the literal best thing that I could ask for. You know, I, I mean, if that is the result of all the effort that I've put in is that, you know, a little piece of the effort that I've put in over the last decade or whatever, and over the next decade, hopefully reaches a handful of people and that helps them do their own thing too. Then like, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's awesome. That's uh, I'll find a way to hopefully save the world one day, but for the meantime, you know, that's like basically as best as I could ask for. Sick. <laughs> right on, dude. Well, thanks again. Yeah, thanks um, so much for your best time, of luck man. with your travels. I hope you guys make it to Italy. Yeah, thanks. And yeah, me too. Avoid getting sick. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'll be cheering for you in the fins. Thanks, man. Yeah, right. appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Okay. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. If you are loving the show, there is one thing that you can do to help me out. Tell a friend. Send your favorite episode to someone who you think would appreciate it. That'd be awesome. I have noticed that some of you guys have left reviews on Apple Podcasts, and I just wanted to say thank you. I have noticed, and I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate you guys for listening. Much love, and we'll see you next time. Shake it up, stop when the clock gets 13 You've been working, but you're flirting With the weekend, you can freak out One in a million You're a gem shine when the light grows dim See one, one, two, three, four Cause, cause, cause No one can do it like we do it Like we do it, like we do it Cause no one can do it like we do it Like we do it, like we do it Cause no one can do it like we do it Like we do it, like we do it Cause no one can do it like we do it Like we do it like we do it. We got the rise up.